This podcast contains adult material, bad language, and spoilers. When life gets you down, your car just won't start. Agony art. It's time for Agony Art. If you've reached a dead end, you're not sure what to do. Agony Art. Well, Agony Art is for you. At times life is grand, you've got the world in your hands. Then somehow you drop that ball. Drop that Instead of watching it fall, give Agony Art a call. Welcome to Agony Art, the Agony Art podcast in which we try to solve your problems, not with our own wisdom, but instead by telling you how those problems were solved in the great art of our age. Or, failing that, just by recommending books, films and music for you to enjoy. My name's Aaron, I'm our resident book lover, and I'm joined by Carl, our cinematic summariser. And Liam, our hip-hop harmonizer, <laughs> here with me <laughs> in Liam's house. Liam's hosting this week. Liam or has Liam's a house. hosting the, the, the location, not the episode. We don't let him host anymore. Well, I did, after his... I did put out some snacks. Yeah? Snackies, you refer to them as. <laughs> yeah, snackies. Hello, lads. How are you doing? Good. Not too bad. Yeah? yeah, good. How's your week been since all you thought about was Batman? Just... Constant Batman. It's been weird. I've had to stop myself from uh, going after criminals and punching them in the face a lot. You know? <laughs> yeah, I've got this weird need to be a vigilante. Yeah? Yeah. I've actually... I need a bit of advice from you two this week. Go on, show us. Get it out. <laughs> We're not qualified to give advice, Aaron. i got a new... Well, it's, I think this is within the realm of your uh, abilities. Okay. <laughs> i got a new phone because my old one was just beyond repair. Hmm. And on the old one, I used to play Frozen Freefall while I was on the toilet. As we know, I spend at least half an hour on the toilet every day. It's not a stomach problem. It's just nice meditation. It's mindfulness, it, if anything. Yeah. Short time. <laughs> can, you, can you just clarify for us, Frozen Freefall, is that related to the Disney Frozen franchise? Yes. It is. Yeah, it's a bit like um, Candy Bejeweled Crush. or uh, Candy Crush, uh, yeah. So it's the same concept, just with Frozen characters. Do you buy life on it? Nah. <laughs> <laughs> nah. uh, no, I don't spend hundreds of pounds on it. <laughs> <laughs> no, I haven't bought different costumes for Elsa. Don't be silly. <laughs> <laughs> but that's the point, right? I was hundreds of levels in because of all the time I'd spent in the to- on the toilet. But I've lost all that progress, so I don't want to start again. So I want a new game for the toilet. Now, Carl, I don't want you to say risk. We've heard, <laughs> we've heard about your risk ex- obsession. Mm. If there wasn't, if risk didn't exist. Would you have a next best recommendation for toilet games? For like games? mind numbing, like just using my fingers. There's an obvious thing to play. <laughs> <laughs> no, I um, I play twenty forty eight still. Oh yeah, the game where you I have to double numbers and try yeah. and get twenty forty eight. I've got four oh nine six. I'm not gone past there yet, so I'm trying. <laughs> believe in you, Carl. Thanks, guys. <laughs> I want to go in the complete opposite direction. Yeah. No, I'm going to go with something that isn't mind numbing at all. Because I've been playing it a lot recently, and that is good old fashioned chess. Uh, yeah. Chess.com, the chess app, yeah. is uh, really, really good. And I've been, I've been on a bit of a winning streak. Play the AI or real people? Uh, a bit of both. I've got to say, um, I do verge on the um, mind numbing side. Chess is a lot of work, isn't it? It is, yeah. yeah. You've really got to use the old noggin. <laughs> I don't like using my noggin. No, me neither. <laughs> <laughs> All right, cool. Thanks, guys. That was no help at all. Now, let's not help our listeners. Before we begin, I want to make it very clear that we're not really here to solve real problems. 
All our submissions are certified 100% trivial and or fictional pickles and our advice should almost never be followed. We're really here to have fun, so if you're having a real hard time, please check out our website for guidance on who to turn to. That's agonyartpodcast.com. So with that out of the way, let's get on with it. Here's the first problem for today. I've just got a promotion at work and I feel completely over my head. I'm worried I only got the job to tick a box and I feel like I'm just waiting to get found out. What should I do? Have you two um, ever felt like this in your job? Like, do you feel like... Strange things happen. <laughs> Have you two ever? Can I make a ever prediction? felt like this? Can I make a prediction? Carl's going to say absolutely not. Have I felt overwhelmed in my job? I have, yeah, absolutely, I have. Have you really? Mm-hmm. Oh. I just blag it to <laughs> fucking kingdom come. Well, I think um, imposter syndrome is a scientifically recognised phenomenon. I want to say. Yeah, and we've actually talked about it in a previous episode on a different problem. I can't remember which one. Mm. <laughs> Otherwise, I'd refer to it. I'm suffering from it at the moment actually genuinely because yeah. i've changed jobs oh i thought you meant on the, the podcast. podcast yeah because we, <laughs> we could yeah. we could tell yeah because <laughs> you're People well over asking your head me about music things <laughs> and i haven't got a clue <laughs> no, no i changed jobs um Correct, i do you went up or down or sideways sideways so and this is part of the problem i do um computer programming now development work yeah and medical cures i never did a degree in it or anything i feel like i don't know what i'm talking about most of the time and there's a lot of people who kind of ask me questions and i'm like expecting me to know the answer I'm like, <laughs> when um I, I encounter this in other people at work sometimes who feel like they don't really know what they're talking about and always say and or they worry about we we have to network and go and speak to people and lots of people like it's quite a hard thing to do and lots of people are like well i don't i don't know what to say and i'm always like you know more about what we do than 99.99 percent of everyone else you just don't realise because we all talk about it. Yeah, yeah, so absolutely. I you, think the very fact that you were given the job shows that someone had faith in you to yeah. do it. <laughs> <laughs> so you're right. Everyone gets imposter syndrome every now and then, but you just have to kind of blast through it, don't you? Yeah. Unless the advice says otherwise. <laughs> so let's think up a name for this person. For the listeners, we give anonymous na- anonymizing names to our uh, problem submitters so that they're not exposed so for this one, I think we sh- there's a quite an obvious choice. Someone who has very recently done a job that they weren't qualified for, Donald. Donald, oh. yeah, fair enough. Yeah. So, uh, Liam, have you got any advice for Donald? Um, yes. What <laughs> you were going to go? Uh, no, actually, not really. Giving it a miss yeah. this week. Um, earlier on, I said that it's, I think it's a scientifically recognised phenomenon. I said that in a way that made a bit more sense, and the words are a bit more better pronounced is your song something like a phenomenon no or is it do, 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 do. Phenomenon. Phenomenon. <laughs> no it is a uh, quick car uh, think of another phenomenon stop song. fucking doing this <laughs> <laughs> otherwise we'll never be done before dinner <laughs> so um yeah i said that earlier and the reason i thought that is because joe langford and pauline rose clance actually wrote a scientific paper on it in 1993 don't know why i did that voice and they summarized it as being a result of seeking self-esteem by trying to live up to an idealized image to compensate for feelings of insecurity and self-doubt which it's one of my favourite songs. It's <laughs> <laughs> a bit of a mouthful. But when I was reading that, I also learned that for a long time it was believed that this phenomenon only affected high-achieving women. Um, and eventually studies showed that, no, it actually affects men and women equally. Men just didn't admit it. Right. Pretty much, yeah. yeah. 
fucking men. But men that. are proper losers, men, aren't they? Men, men. <laughs> <laughs> Just fucking talk about your feelings, men. <laughs> you prick. Um, but reading that did make me think of one high-achieving woman who is both a character in a hit musical and a real-life role model to boot. Is it Peggy? It is Peggy from EastEnders. No, who's Peggy? Uh, Peggy from Hamilton. Hamilton. Oh, <laughs> no, but she is pretty good. Um, and Peggy. Maybe we'll talk about her another time. Mm. She, um, she's got a bit of a backstory, you know, that isn't really... She opened a pub in Wolford. <laughs> <laughs> it's underappreciated in Hamilton. Yeah, my pub! <laughs> the, la- the lady I'm talking about, you know she's a true hero because her name is alliterative. Her name is Beverly Bass. And our listeners might know the name of the character from the musical Come From Away. Last time we spoke about this, neither of you had seen it. I'm assuming that hasn't changed. No. I can't be talking about it. <laughs> I think I mentioned it in passing. I told our listeners to stop listening to the podcast and go and see it. Yeah. Come as you are, you say. Come from, Come away. from away. Come as you are, the Nirvana musical. <laughs> <laughs> Something in the way. Coming from away. Ooh. <laughs> no, Come from away. <laughs> It's uh, it's sort of about 9-11, but it sort of also isn't. <laughs> so it's based on real events, and most, if not all, of the characters in it are real people. And the general premise is, after the attack on the Twin Towers during 9-11, 38 planes were diverted to a very small town in Newfoundland in Canada called Gander. And the planes had around 7,000 passengers on them, which is quite notable because the town's entire population wasn't much more than 10,000 people. And the musical is about how the residents of Gander accommodated the passengers for almost an entire week while airspace was closed. Oh, my days. Um, it's a one-act musical. And I was thinking about this. I don't think I know any other one-act musicals. It's, it's, I think it's 100 minutes running time. And so it's a bit like watching a film. You just sit there and watch the whole thing. I don't know if they're dying for a piss halfway through. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Well, so you were happy to sit down for three hours during the Batman, but 100 minutes, no. <laughs> um, yeah, it seems to be worse at the theatre, though, doesn't it? Yeah. I always need a piss by the end of Act 1, like, desperately. <laughs> and I'm always thinking, who wants to queue up at a theatre? Because the toilets get mobbed. Especially after Act 1, yeah. 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 Um, yeah, I don't know if there's a reason why it's a one-act musical, but I like to speculate it's maybe it's to give you a taste of sitting on a long plane journey. Oh. But that's probably a load of bollocks. Yeah, you're probably giving them more credit there. Yeah. <laughs> um, but no, my wife's seen this five times. She five times. insists it's the best musical at the West on the West End at the moment. And if you think that's impressive, the real Beverly Bass... <laughs> Do I? <laughs> well, <laughs> the, the real Beverly Bass said in an interview that she has seen it 101 times. And this was oh in 2018. Days. So she's probably seen it even more since then. A bit full of herself, hasn't she? <laughs> yeah. I'm going to watch that thing about me again. <laughs> in that, she, she, I think she summarises it better than I could. She says in that interview, uh, which is on YouTube, she says, we like to say it's a 9-12 story. The story wouldn't exist without the events of 9-11, but the story was really written about the kindness and generosity that was bestowed upon us when we descended into the beautiful town of Gander. And it's, it's such a... Like, a, a feel good show not in a mm. like this is happy sort of way but in a it, it's just the message is really uplifting and it's yeah like a much needed Sticking reminder together. that not, not only are there good people in the world but there are whole communities of good people in the world that are willing to like 
basically work their asses off for complete strangers. You just have to travel to Newfoundland to <laughs> exactly, find them. Yeah. <laughs> you have to wonder how people get inspiration to make some theatre mm. things. I went to see um, one called Straight Line Crazy a couple of weeks ago, which is purely about the man that, um, like the, the head of planning in New York between like the th- 1930, 1960. It was Ra- Rafe Fiennes was in it. Oh, oh. I love him. He was really good. But um, you're, like, you're like, how the fuck did someone like read this guy and went, oh, this is going to be a theatre show? Basically, because every story's been done now, so you just mm. have to make a film or play yeah. or have whatever. You the planning department records? Yeah, exactly. No, About anything you can find. <laughs> the thing is, you don't really need a good idea, do you? You just need the resources. So mm. there's, I think it's just people who are who know the right people and have the money to do it, mm. just do it. And whatever the ideas they have are the ones that we end up with. We got a letter from the council the other day. Saying that we're on the wrong council tax band. And we have been since we moved in five years ago. So they owe you money or you owe them money? Our house is going to have to be revalued. We would owe them. I don't think it's going to be backdated. But either way, I'm writing a musical about it. (laughs) 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 That might have sounded like, uh, yeah, I think Come From Away isn't very good. I don't think that at all. I think it's absolutely brilliant. Um, Liam thinks it's shit. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, let's get to the point. Who is Beverly Bass? Well, like I said, she's a real person. And... She was one of the pilots who had to land in Gander. And if you want her life story, I'm not going to tell it now, but it is fully told in the song Me and the Sky, in which she relates how she was a crazy kid (laughs) because from the age of eight, she always knew that she wanted to be a pilot and she never changed her mind since then. Mm. Um, She ended up being the first female captain of a commercial American Airlines plane, which sounds very specific. I don't think... It is that specific. I think she's actually one of the first female captains, full stop, but that's the way they phrase it in the song. Mm. She was the third female pilot that American Airlines hired altogether. And she said in that same interview I mentioned earlier, when she applied for the job, there were 10,000 applicants and only 87 job offers. So she was one in 87 in an industry that was absolutely dominated by men at the time. So, I mean, it's pretty impressive, I think. And she talks a lot about the difficulty she had in finding that job at all. She says uh, she'd interview at companies, and this is a direct quote, they'd say, we just can't have a woman flying our executives around. I mean, what would their wives think? And in the song, she sings about the sexism she experienced with older male crew. She calls them the World War II pilots while she was a flight engineer. And they'd say things to her like, hey, baby, why don't you just get me a drink? And she felt like a bit of a black sheep because the flight attendants didn't like her either because they were like, oh, you think you're better than us because you're a flight engineer sort of thing. But in the face of all that adversity, she persevered and not only became the first female captain, but a year later captained the first all-female flight crew. So, you know, bloody hero, this woman. Mm. Um, And towards the end of the song, she relates, suddenly I'm wondering how my parents would feel seeing me teaching men to be pilots because suddenly I'm a senior instructor and somehow I'm 51. So throughout the course of her life, you know, she really makes it to the top. So what's the point I'm making here? And I suppose it's this, really. It doesn't really matter whether you think you're good enough to do the job. Beverly Bass shows us that it doesn't even matter what others think, because assuming you like the job and you work hard at it and you stick at it, you will show everyone, including yourself, that you're more than up to that task. Uh, I agree, Liam. And I, I'm not... I'm being a bit more out of order, to be honest, because I'm saying maybe you aren't up to the top. <laughs> but I'm going along the same theme, which is just plough ahead. If Donald is up to the task, just like you said, Liam, one day you will feel at home in that role and you know everyone will recognise that you were made for that role in the first place. And if you weren't made for that role right now, 
And my advice is just fake it till you make it. One day you will be if you act like you were long enough uh, for long enough. What I'm going to use to illustrate that point is The Talented Mr. Ripley by Patricia Highsmith. Tom Ripley becomes obsessed with a man named Dickie Greenleaf and ends up... <laughs> Sorry, what? <laughs> What's your name? Dickie Greenleaf. Is he, does he become obsessed with him because of the name? <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like a disease, doesn't it? Got a bit of that Dickie Greenleaf. <laughs> He ends up beating him to death with an oar in order to assume his identity and steal his money. Now, obviously, (laughs) Donald, I hope that this isn't quite your situation. But still, Ripley has to duck and weave to make sure he's not found out. He forges checks, changes his appearance, even kills to prevent getting his secret out. And eventually, it all pays off. People believe a fake will he wrote in Dickie's name... And he inherits the fortune he was pretending to own in the first place. Now, am I saying that you should change your appearance, commit murder, and <laughs> forge official documents to make yes. people believe you deserved your promotion? Sounds like no. it. Oh. No, no. <laughs> Not literally. I'm just saying that if you keep your head down and work hard at looking like you deserved this promotion, then eventually you'll become the person who did deserve it, whether you believe it or otherwise. Do so you think he deserved to inherit the fortune? No, I'm saying that he faked it till he made it. You think he became a person who deserved to inherit the fortune? Uh, shut up. It's implied in the book that Ripley will kind of live forevermore, feeling a bit of that paranoia. But don't think about that, Donald. Just start faking it ASAP. All I'm saying is, if you act like someone who deserved that job and do go through all the motions of doing that job, suddenly, as you said, Carl, you end up years later knowing everything about that job and you do deserve that job because yeah. you are doing it perfectly. <laughs> I've seen the film. It was adapted into a 1990 film, <laughs> 1999 <laughs> film starring Matt Damon. And Jude Law is no, Dickie Greenleaf. Good? Yeah, long. Liam won't like it. When you watched it, <laughs> did you laugh at Dickie Greenleaf? No. Oh. But Ripley, it's a ser- is it a series of books? Because there's other... Yes. There's yeah. Ripley's game with John Malkovich plays Ripley in it. And like, oh, really? Yeah. And also he goes into space in Alien, doesn't he? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and just before we move on, Carl, I'm sure you're chomping at the bit Gagging. to get to you. Gagging. I just want to mention one more book, The Peter Principle by Peter and Raymond Hull, published in 1969. Are you familiar with The Peter Principle? This is non-fiction this time. What is The Peter Principle? The Peter Principle... Thanks for asking. (laughs) Is a concept in management developed by Lawrence J. Peter, which observes that people in a hierarchy tend to rise to a level of respective incompetence, i.e. you're given promotions based on your success in your job, your current job, your previous jobs, until you reach a level at which you're no longer competent and you're no longer successful, so you don't get promoted anymore. So you are promoted until you reach a level of incompetence. So, Donald, if you truly are in over your head and you can't do this job maybe you won't get promoted again but at least you've got this job just sit there and be incompetent till you retire that's so true (laughs) as long as the salary keeps coming in it's fine you get promoted based on what you've done not what you can do don't you Mm. you've done a really good job I'm going to promote you (laughs) not knowing whether you can do the new job at all (laughs) it did remind me of Homer Simpson where um the plant's melting down. He does eeny, meeny, miny, moe, press the right button. <laughs> yeah. 
I always think whenever I think of the nuclear power plant, I think of when he was. He, I can't remember where he went, but he just put a mop with a bucket on top <laughs> of it in his chair and clothes on it and stuff, and then yeah. had a tape player playing saying, "I work hard for the money, <laughs> so hard for the money." <laughs> and Mr. Burns and Smithers walk past. Now there's an employee, Smithers. <laughs> and he gets promoted as a mop. And they show him in his new office. Yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. Yeah, he's so good, isn't it? Yeah. I miss Prime Simpsons. Yeah. But what it really reminded me of was um, George Costanza in Seinfeld, which I know both of you haven't watched. And you should watch. Um, the best situational comedy ever written, I think you said last time. Mm. Did I say that? It's not true. <laughs> no, you said you you clarified it in a very specific way. You said nobody does situational comedy better. I said that was about Fraser. Oh, was it? Yeah, yeah I was going to say, but he has praised Seinfeld. Yeah, on Seinfeld this is show still brilliant. Well. Mm. I said Seinfeld. There's a lot of but not as good as Fraser. pop culture references that you know that are from Seinfeld okay. that you don't know until you watch mm. Seinfeld. You're like, oh, I know that. Like, um, but uh, he had a, but a bit of <laughs> <laughs> like last last week at my barbecue. You were both eating um, burgers on. Not on knives, mm. and because Liam did it, and then Aaron copied, and in um, Seinfeld, one of the characters eats a Snickers with a knife and fork, and then this woman's like, "What are you doing?" And then she mentioned it to someone. He's like, "I like the idea." Starts doing it. And by the end of the episode, like everyone is doing it. Are you saying that if it wasn't for Seinfeld, we wouldn't have done that? Yeah, exactly <laughs> what I'm saying. Neither of us have seen it, but still, it influenced us. <laughs> That's how influential it is. But um, George Costanza is like, uh, he's a real loser job-wise. He starts off Seinfeld as in, as a real estate agent and he seems quite good at it, but eventually he gets fired and um, he's kind of unemployed or looking for a job throughout the whole thing. He, he has periods of having a job. But early on, um, he goes for an interview and he doesn't know what the company does at all. And the interviewer leaves halfway through the interview <laughs> and he's not... He doesn't know whether like what the result is, so he decides to assume he's got the job and go in on Monday. But the guy is away for a week, so he thinks if I bed in for a week, like they, why would they fire me? <laughs> but he doesn't know what he's doing, and they just give him an office and they give him the Penske file. He goes, "We'll put you on the Penske file," and so it just sits on his desk, and he's like, he looks for it a little bit, but he doesn't know what to do. Penske comes in, and says. So what are we going to do? He goes, "Well, oh, I haven't quite decided yet." And by the end of the week, his boss reviews and goes, "What have you done?" He's like. And he just like goes, I'll get my coat. And he just goes. Like, <laughs> so he does try and fake it completely. He gets a job at a company called Play Now. And he gets a dead leg. So he limps into the interview. And the man thinks he's disabled. So gives him the job. And he pretends to be disabled for the whole time. And he gets like <laughs> his own personal bathroom. And he gets a scooter that he goes around on. And he's like loving it. But then he gets caught out. And then he does get, he gets his dream job at the New York Yankees. As like the travelling secretary, so like helping with the uh, the like away games, if you like. And mm. um, his first thing he does is he says, "Why do you wear these polyester outfits? Why don't you wear cotton?" And so he changed. They all changed the kits to cotton, and then they don't realise that um, when you wash them, they like get tighter or something like that. So the Yankees start losing loads of games because their uniforms are too tight. <laughs> <laughs> um, but he stays in that job for quite a few years, and one of the one of his key uh, successes is he manages to get his uh, a bed put in under his desk so he can sleep um, comfortably <laughs> so he, you see him like his alarm goes off he goes in goes in at 9 o'clock goes under his desk he's got a little shelf he pulls down 
to put his um, watch on and stuff. He goes to sleep, and then his alarm goes off at five, and he gets up and goes home. <laughs> um, but he ends up getting fired from that because he pretends to. He goes somewhere. He pretends he's at work while he's going on holiday. Leaves his car in his space, and he asks someone to take all the leaflets off of his car every day, um, so that they don't think he's like gone away, and they just think he's um, working really, really late. And um, then they get worried about it because there's uh, something happens, uh, like there's blood. Like his car gets destroyed by like protesters, like fans, and they think he's dead. And they turns, and then he makes up a he makes up an excuse to say he was at this other firm. And then his boss phones up and says, "Well, you know, if he wants to work with you, you keep him." But he just made it up, so he ends up losing his job. So basically, he fakes it all the way without actually doing any work at all, and. He's not a very good example of it being successful. Oh, he makes a living, though, presumably. He gets paid throughout all these things, but he ends mm. up with no job at all. So <laughs> I would say, don't fake it till you make it. But I don't know what that means doing. I don't, take it. <laughs> so you don't Hang on a minute, though. Because yeah. I any distinctly remember the Legally Blonde episode where you said, do fake it till you make it. <laughs> oh, fucking hell, Liam. Don't call me out. <laughs> she doesn't, she's very clever, though, Elwood's. Yeah, she is actually. She's just mistaken. So she's faking being stupid rather than faking. Mm. Uh, she's not even doing that. No, it's just people. Are she's that she's underestimated. Her. Yeah. So we've got two votes on. Well, no, actually, Liam wasn't saying faking it anywhere, was he? He was really just saying keep plugging away, believe in yourself. Yeah. For that's the place to start. And I say, hey, what a wonderful time today. <laughs> believe in life after love. All right, sorry, Donald, that we couldn't provide better advice, but hopefully we can for the next person. I used to be really creative. I would sing, dance, draw cartoons, and even write and perform little plays for my cats. But recently, I've had a complete creative block, and I can't do any of those things anymore. It's like all the creativity has just drained out of my body for good. As a result, I just feel bored and lost 24-7. How do I get the creative spark back? And if I can't, how can I fill my time instead? Writer's block. Very, very common thing, isn't it? Do you ever have writer's block? I have since the beginning of COVID. As I've said on this podcast, I, in fact, I've taken it out of the intro i think i can't remember what i said during the intro <laughs> but i don't really feel comfortable describing myself as, as an author anymore because i don't really write anything anymore this is creative though so i've haven't got a complete creative block i just sit in front of a like an empty word document or whatever and i just have nothing now really? so this, this is a problem so you for me, go yeah. to write and don't yeah see i think i've always wanted to write a novel but I don't know whether I have writer's block or whether I just don't no have any ideas. Are they two different things? Because I have no <laughs> idea what to different. write a book about. <laughs> they are two different things, yeah. But, I mean, they, it's sort of the same theme, isn't it? Because I've got ideas. I just don't know how to put them down on the page. It's mm. Type. <laughs> oh. have, you, have you tried using the keys? <laughs> <laughs> I keep just shouting at the screen. <laughs> So yeah, I think yeah, I think it hits all of us really. Even it's probably just a general lack of motivation for anything, isn't it? Who's got no motivation? 
Mr. Motivator. <laughs> <laughs> Is that why he became Mr. Motivator? Overcompensating. He was for like, his lack I don't have motivation. any motivation, but I don't want others to feel like this ever. Yeah. All right. So, um, what's his real name? When you see him, he's still dressed as Mr. I thought his name was Mr. <laughs> Derek Evans. Derek Evans. Well, you can call him Derek or Mr. Motivator, Carl, but either way, you've got to give him some advice. Go. All right, Moats. Ready for a 2022 film? Oh, what? shit, boy. Mm, you've really more... updated your catalogue. Is it more you? recent than The Batman? Yeah, I saw it the day after that. I went to <laughs> I went cinema twice last week for the first time in probably 10 wow. years. Oh, my days. Mm, not my own. Right. So, <laughs> yeah, whatever. <laughs> Side story. Went to the O2 after work on Thursday to go and see a show. It's a rival podcast called Parenting Hell, hosted by Rob oh. Beckett. What the hell were you doing there? I know. <laughs> But why did I see a film, you might ask? Because when I got there, I thought, oh, this is pretty empty for something. Like, I don't think it's expected to be sold out, but it's um, 2023. <laughs> I thought it had been cancelled and you just hadn't read the email. No, it was next year. <laughs> <laughs> and my wife turned up, not happy at all. So I said, come on, love. <laughs> I'll take you to the cinema. I can imagine her face as well. Mm. Her angry face. Yep. <laughs> and so I said, I'll take you to see that Sandra Bullock film you like. And she was like... While you were sleeping? Yeah. Miss Congeniality? That's the one, yeah. No, so we went to see The Lost City. Oh, yeah. Mm. With um, John Cena. <laughs> Channing Tatum. Channing Tatum. Same, similar. <laughs> <laughs> Good, but it's not the one. <laughs> Say what you see. <laughs> um, yeah, and it's funny because my wife said, I said, let's not waste the evening. Like, we've got a babysitter, we're here, let's go to the cinema. And she was like, oh, we don't like going to cinema anymore. It makes me want to fall asleep. And I went, oh, let's just go anyway. Come on. <laughs> but, um made me realise I've lost my cinema buddy. We used to go all the time. Shame. You should get a divorce, really. <laughs> it's the only answer. Or another cinema buddy. Mm. So, yeah, we went to see this film and it really fits this problem. So it's directed by Adam and Aaron Nee. N E E, twenty twenty two. Obviously, it's is that, uh, that definitely a name and not an indication of their maiden name. <laughs> Aaron and Ad- Adam and Aaron Nee. <laughs> Nothing other than. Um, so Loretta Sage, uh, who is Sandra Bullock, played by Sandra Bullock, is a romance fiction novelist. Mm. So she writes your cochlear that you like. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it's a little bit. There's um. It's this is a rom com, but with a few little deeper strands I don't go too deep but like I just add a little bit of weight to it mm. so her, her husband died five years ago and he was an archaeologist and her passion is archaeology but she, she didn't make any money writing about archaeology so she wrote romance novels set in like ancient Egypt stuff like that mm. or about an art, like an Indiana Jones lady yeah shagging blokes on pyramids was Lara Croft like that yeah so. yeah is that the name of the character? No, it's uh, <laughs> I can't remember the name of the character actually. Mm. Um, but she's lost complete inspiration, and she kind of mouths in the final book that gets panned by the critics. But her agent has like gone all in on her. It's like we really need this to be successful, so we've got to go on a book tour. We've got to really make it big, even though the book's going to be the book's shit. Mm. Um, Channing Tatum plays um, Alan Caprison, who plays Dash McMahon, the character from the book. So he's not, it's a book, so he's not really a character, but Alan he's... Caprison. Caprison, yeah. As in Capri Sun. 
<laughs> How did you fall out? Of here? I, I was thinking about the McMahons. Is it? Are they related to the uh, WWE? McMahon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um, he's basically just the handsome man on the cover. Mm. But everyone knows him as Dash, and like he's just whilst he's like he plays Dash in a book, it, like it doesn't make any sense. All he is is the cover model, mm. but he's as famous as the writer. Yeah, and they have to go on a book tour together. <laughs> and his entrance into this book tour is so amazing. He comes in like he's got. Long flying blonde hair. He's dancing. He's doing like karate. It's just, mate. I was his stitches. Um, it was really funny. So what happens is, there's a character called Abigail Fairfax, played by Daniel Radcliffe. He's actually a very featured she actor. He's quite funny in it. And he, the book in it's called The Lost City of D. It's a lot of dick jokes. Mm. Um, and there's a crown of flaming jewels. Is like the thing. So it's a real, it's a real thing in the film. And mm. he wants to go and find it. He's found the island that is actually this island in the film. But first person to find it, and he kidnaps Sandra Bullock or sorry, um, Loretta Sage, to go and find the crown on the island because she can read the hieroglyphs. Mm. so she gets kidnapped taken to the island tied up she's got to translate some hieroglyphs Dash he's like a hapless hero he hires a friend Brad Pitt uh, who's called uh, John Trainer. I think he goes um, he meets him at um, like a Buddhist camp he goes he was the trainer he goes what's he in your phone he goes John Trainer. he goes I do that for all people but his name is actually John Trainer. <laughs> 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 yeah. and so he's like a Navy SEAL so he goes in and he rescues her, but then, I don't know if you, are you going to see the film with you want a spoiler? Uh, probably not. Okay, and so then he gets sniped in the face. So Brad Pitt's <laughs> in it for 15 minutes, so he's dead. <laughs> and so it's all down to Channing Tatum to actually save her, and he's like useless, or completely useless. Um, but they have like a hapless adventure together. Like they come up with little plans to, they make a fire. She makes a fire using his um, ointment because he's allergic to water. And they go in water. She uses it for a fire and he goes, oh, I needed that. And she feels really bad. They kill they kill a guy <laughs> by throwing him <laughs> off a cliff. And they're like, romantic. Yeah. Um, anyway, they have a little adventure together and they end up falling in love at the end of it. Mm. And it gives a perfect inspiration for her next mm. novel, mm. which goes on to be a super smash hit. I was wondering how any of this related yeah. to the problem at all. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I did say she was a writer lost inspiration, so maybe you should have listened. <laughs> yeah, but that, that was about three hours ago, wasn't it? Oh, you can <laughs> fucking talk. <laughs> yeah, but Carl, the difference is no one interrupted you. <laughs> so, you need something to, you need some jump leads. Go on an adventure. You need jump leads. With John sp- Cena. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and a man named Jeff. <laughs> well, I think I, you can you can both correct me from your musical and writing standpoint, but experience helps dictate your art mm. or helps you write your art. So why don't you go out there and get some more experiences that might give you that idea? So I was driving down to Sandwich the other day. And you thought, I'll have a ham, cheese and mayo sandwich. <laughs> Something come to me. <laughs> a hunger pang. I think that's that kind of touches on something that I was going to say, which is you don't need to be... Like unless it's your job, in which case that's probably a different problem. You don't need to be like thinking about it all the time and trying too hard. Because I think, I think some of my best ideas have just popped into my head when I was either doing something else or not doing anything, just sitting around, maybe even sleeping. <laughs> um, probably. Have you written a song in your sleep before? I've don't think I've written a song in my sleep, but I have woken up and immediately had an idea for a song. Can't get no satisfaction. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then Damn, he woke someone, up. He was like, oh shit. Someone else wrote <laughs> it's already been done. Yeah. <laughs> so that, there's that aspect of it. And the other aspect of it, 
which would be serious advice if anyone wanted it, is somebody said once, don't know who, don't let perfect be the enemy of good. And I think that's really good advice. You don't, not everything you do needs to be perfect because if you try and make sure everything you do is perfect, then you'll probably never do anything. Mm. So just try things out, put pen to paper, whatever you want to do. And, you know, as long as you do something, you can you can refine it and stuff as much as you like. Anyway, though, uh, we're talking a little bit about writer's block earlier. And I did see a Spotify article about techniques for dealing with writer's block. Um, and one of them has been championed by REM's Michael Stipe. And that's uh, a writer who, I don't know if you know him, his name is William S. Burrow. Mm. He has a writer's block technique called the cut-up technique. I hope I'm not treading on any toes here. No, so <laughs> In which you um, cut up lots of, cut out lots of words from a newspaper, for instance, and mix them up until they tell you a story. And then you use that as your inspiration. Apparently, REM's Michael Stipe has done that. Seems like a terrible idea to me. Uh, I'm, Shiny, I'm, happy people. People holding Laughing. hands. <laughs> um, the, the only problem with that is people don't really have newspapers hanging around anymore, do they? So nah. Maybe there's like an app for it. You could use your you could use your your um, tablet stylus and use the lasso select, <laughs> which Carl discovered today. <laughs> uh, but my main piece of advice is comes from Gwen Stefani's debut solo single. Can you name it? No doubt. <laughs> <laughs> That's wrong um, on a number of levels. I reckon it's going to be what you're weaning, what you're weaning, what you're oh, weaning. Uh, oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> when I come You got your million dollar contract. What you're waiting for. Released in 2004. <laughs> and they were all waiting for your hot track. Mm. Do you know um, her song, The Sweet Escape, kind of encapsulate that little, those couple of years for me. Nobody knows it. <laughs> so yeah, we're going back in time. We're really going back in time. I had to tra- trawl through the web archive to find an interview about this with she did with MTV from 2004 because really? it's not on there anymore. Hmm. Um, have you ever seen the video to this song? Yeah, she's on the piano. She's she is on the piano at one point. Do you know what she's doing on the piano? Uh, just sitting there drumming. She's trying to find inspiration because she has writer's block. Mm. And actually, at the start of the video, she's rung up numerous times by somebody who is in danger of becoming a friend of the show, Jimmy Iovine. Oh. Who... I uh, knew that he was... I'm a big fan of Jimmy Iovine, mm. I've got to say. <laughs> <laughs> I knew that he signed her. Mm. So in the video, he's calling her up and encouraging her to get in the studio and record. Um, but she's really struggling to get inspired. And eventually, she finds a poster in the studio that says got writer's block we can help so she picks the thing off and she goes down to this address and she visits them and she starts talking to the people there about her writer's block this video is seven minutes long by the way Ooh. and the first i think three minutes are just the setup and then it's the song <laughs> <laughs> and um and then things get a little bit trippy because midway through the conversation she's suddenly back in the studio just immediately and she's like, what? And she looks over to her piano and there's a little figurine of a white rabbit who's dancing around. And then she looks in her hand and she's got this big like clock in her hand. And she suddenly goes on this like Alice in Wonderland adventure, uh, which is when the song starts. And it, it tees up the main content of the song, which I mean, I'm sure you know, it's like in, it's almost like a conversation with herself. She's like, mm. there's like a call and response thing going on. And Tiffany. And, and Tiffany. Very good, Carl. 
My battery's just. I always thought it was um, a bit of a cop out, though, the concept of the song. Because you'd you'd rather uh, write a song rather than write a song about writing a song. Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's like when novels are about novelists. Like the main character is a novelist. I'm like fucking lazy. (laughs) Yeah. Write what you know. Taken a bit too far. But yeah, the, the lyrics do explore her fears about going solo and writing her own songs. And the name, What You're Waiting For, is allegedly taken from a conversation she had with co-songwriter Linda Perry. Do you know who Linda Perry is? No. I wouldn't expect you to know her. She is, she was in Four Non Blondes, uh, oh. who I think did... What's up? What's going on? Mm. Yeah. And I said... Hey. <laughs> I like the He-Man <laughs> cover. Have you seen it? No, I'll, I'll send you that later. Yeah, she had a conversation with Linda Perry apparently, and uh, Linda Perry played an early demo of the music before it had the li- before it had lyrics, and Gwen Stefani apparently said she really liked it, and Linda Perry said to her, "Well, what are you waiting for?" And that became the main mm. theme of the song. So, what's the advice? Well, I think there's two ways to look at it. One is just get on with it. Don't overthink it. Just do something. What are you waiting for? Mm. But that might not be very helpful. So if that doesn't help, um, there's also the stories around the writing and they suggest that collaborating with other people is a great way to mitigate your loss of creativity. And I think they make sense because as long as one of you has creative ideas, that's pretty much all you need. Then you can work together from there. So steal someone else's. Not, 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 <laughs> not exactly steal. <laughs> because as long as you know, you're working together, you're refining ideas together and sooner or later you'll probably have ideas of your own, surely. Mm. And in the lyrics she says... Look at your watch now. You're still a super hot female. Mm. A couple of episodes ago, we said how Sarah Silverman was ageless. Mm. Gwen Stefani, ageless. Mm. Yeah. Some kind of vampire. Vampire conspiracy confirmed. <laughs> <laughs> Why do you know so much about no, uh, Gwen Stefani? I just know the lyrics to that song. Why? It's a catchy song, isn't it? No. Look at your watch now. Let's not pretend. Aaron could easily do my job if I if I wasn't on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> That's an interesting idea. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm going to agree with both of you. What was your advice again, Carl? It was so long ago that I've forgotten it. <laughs> See, Liam's had his turn in the meantime. <laughs> <laughs> Seek new experiences to trigger your inspiration yes exactly and liam's was just get on with it just write or just sing or just solo and i'm going to mix those two i'm just going to give you advice from authors who have had writer's block and how they get over it make an advice soup advice soup served with a nice slice of (laughs) uh temper this advice with sensibility bread (laughs) (laughs) Apparently, well, first of all, I'm going to say apparently Ted, Terry Pratchett, author of the Discworld series, writer of Johnny in the Bomb, hundreds of books, must have been Johnny in the Dead. I don't know if I've said this already, but it bears repeating. I bloody love Terry Pratchett. Yeah, he seems like a great guy, but he said there's no such thing as writer's block. That was invented by people in California who couldn't write. <laughs> <laughs> Damn hippies. <laughs> yeah, Jennifer Egan, author of A Visit from the Goon Squad, very good book said, I haven't had trouble with writer's block. I think it's because my process involves writing very badly. (laughs) My first drafts are filled with lurching, cliched writing, writing that doesn't have a good voice or any voice. But then there will be good moments. It seems writer's block is often a dislike of writing badly and waiting for writing better to happen. That's exactly what you said about don't wait for it to be perfect because it won't be. Just write something and then you can refine it later. And that is the crux of most advice about beating creative blocks. 
to get the creative juices flowing again, you need to kind of give them a little help, give them a push. Maya Angelou, author of I Know Why the Caged Bird Sings, says, just write. I may write for two weeks. The cat sat on the mat. That is that, not a rat. And it might just be the most boring and awful stuff, but I try. When I'm writing, I write. And then it's as if the muse is convinced that I'm serious and says, okay, okay, I'll come. And in an interview with the writer, writermag.com, Laurie Loff, apparently the author of over 100 books, I hadn't heard of her before this, but... <laughs> don't know them, a single one. <laughs> one of them is called Priscilla Hires a Husband. Is that the sequel to Priscilla, Queen of the Desert? <laughs> yeah. It says, get off the computer, much like you said, Carl. Sit in a different room. Oh, no, she's not going on an adventure. Sorry. Tablet and pencil or pen in hand. Write down what you see or hear or smell without paying attention to mechanics and how those senses make you feel. Still stuck? Move to another room and think of something that's happening in the news and write your heartfelt opinion on the topic. I wouldn't advise that. As you will know, if you've heard previous episodes where I talk about the news, I advise nobody listens or watches the news (laughs) ever. But that's the point, isn't it? Just write something. Or if you're not a writer, if you're a painter, just paint something. Even if it looks shit, just do it. What were they? They were everything, weren't they? They just used to be really creative. Draw cartoons, write, perform little plays for their cats. Sit your cats down, perform a play, even if it's shit. I don't think your cats are going to be that discerning, to be honest. <laughs> just yeah, but they it. might be like, meow. <laughs> <laughs> what do we want this play to end? When do we want it? Meow. <laughs> <laughs> I had a dream, it was a curious thing. Podcast presenters problem solve for me. They help me with my miserable life. I had a fresh new start. Blood it on. But alas, when I awoke, all I could find was agony on. Problem three. Recently, I've been trying to cut down on sugar for health reasons. I've managed to eliminate sweets mostly and i drink diet drinks now but the only sugar i can't seem to cut out completely is the four teaspoons i put in my tea every morning what (laughs) i can't drink tea with sweetener because it's disgusting and whenever i try to reduce the amount of sugar in my tea it tastes like i'm drinking soil do i have to cut out my morning tea altogether or does art have the answer to beating this addiction do you guys take Sugar in your coffees or and or teas? No. I, I really struggle with this one because putting one sugar in tea has just always seemed like madness to me. I don't so you can only imagine how I felt when I saw four teaspoons. I think we've said this before. Like we don't understand. Like if you like coffee and tea, you don't need sugar in it. You don't like the drink. You just why don't you just have hot water and sugar? Mm. <laughs> what, 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 what is it? Someone add? I used to work with had six. Oh my god. Mm. And she was, like, really impressed with herself to, for reducing it down to, like, three or four, I think. She was like, I can't do any less than that. How many teas like, a day? Like, if, if, even if it were two, well, exactly, that's 12 yeah. teaspoons of sugar a day. How are her teeth? Mad. What teeth? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, who uh, has lots of sugar? Who's a, got a very sweet tooth? Augustus Gloop. <laughs> <laughs> Augustus, all right. I think I would go first because... We've overrun on nearly all of the previous problems and nearly all of the problems we've done so far. In fact, 
Last episode, we overran so much that we only had time for one problem. <laughs> so, Sorry, guys. So actually, we're doing better this week. <laughs> yeah. So I'll just go first and I'll quickly bash one out. And then I'll give you the answer to the problem. <laughs> My advice, Augustus, comes from And Away by Bob Mortimer. This is Bob Mortimer's autobiography. Now, if you're not familiar with Bob Mortimer, he's a British comedian. One half of the comedy duo Vic and Bob. You might know him from fishing with Bob Mortimer and Paul Whitehouse. Yeah, gone fishing. Um, oh, that's what it's called. <laughs> from fishing. <laughs> fishing. Uh, now, Bob Mortimer, we just said about, you were shocked that someone would take one sugar, Liam. Oh, God, and what are you going to say? Someone at work took six. Bob Mortimer takes 16 sugars in no, his tea. that's not tea. That is not tea. <laughs> that's sugar, yeah. Sugar war. He claims <laughs> in his autobiography that he would often lose count as he went and notice when he'd accidentally put 17 in, think it was disgusting and have to throw it away. <laughs> so, and he's, I think he said it on Would I Lie to You as well, that he takes he 16 say, sugars. Did he say why, how he got to that point? I don't think so. And the problem is, this is why I'm going to quickly run through this one he doesn't actually give any uh advice on cutting down <laughs> I, think, I don't think he takes 16 anymore um i think he's cut down but i don't think he mentions how but the book does keep coming back to a major heart operation that he had to have which made him very aware of his mortality and kind of gave him a uh, paranoia about his health and stuff like that he'd never had before so my advice is to avoid a situation like that where you suddenly get to a point where oh shit this sugar has given me i don't know diabetes or as you said liam maybe you've lost all your teeth augustus <laughs> <laughs> because of all that sugar maybe that's encouragement enough to cut back read bob Mortimer's autobiography and learn about the uh, trauma that this heart surgery put him through and think, well, maybe I don't need that much sugar in my life. It is a really good book. And I've talked before about how much I love Bob Mortimer and Vic Reeves. And I think I gave a few examples of books that Vic Reeves has written in a previous episode. I think you might have talked about Bob Mortimer's autobiography before, unless that was not on air. It's, yeah, it's probably to you in person. Mm. Um, I think it was in First Class Trouble, actually. <laughs> All right, yeah. <laughs> on PlayStation. Uh, Other consoles are available. <laughs> <laughs> but they're not worth it. <laughs> um, it's a great book, especially in audio form. I listened to the audio book, and it's obviously Bob Mortimer reading it. Great comedian. Tells loads of interesting, funny, and moving stories, like the loss of his dad, the time he burnt his own house down by lighting sparklers indoors, and how he met Vic Reeves. Which one of those were interested and which were moving? And which <laughs> were funny? Uh, they were all interesting, moving, and funny, oh, okay. all at the same time. <laughs> I couldn't handle the wave of emotions they put me through. You were laughing, interested, and crying. <laughs> <laughs> Do it again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so if you love shooting stars, the smell of Reeves and Mortimer, or Catterick, or even just Bob Mortimer's appearances on Would I Lie to You, then read this book, and while you're reading it, you won't be drinking. You'll be so distracted that you won't be drinking a tea with four sugars in it, but maybe you will. Maybe you'll make it before you read it. Shit. Mm. I didn't think of that. Fun fact. About yeah. Catterick. Yeah. I borrowed it off a mutual friend of ours that we used to mm. go to school with. Mm. Still got it. <laughs> <laughs> so you stole it off a friend. Haven't spoke to him in about 14 years. <laughs> Interesting, Aaron. Thanks, Carl. <laughs> You're most welcome. 
Um, my advice is very simple. Uh, it comes from Mary Poppins in 1964. A spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down. So just have one. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Carl. <laughs> Was that really it? <laughs> um, whenever I think of A Spoonful of Sugar, mm. that song, I start it. Mm. A spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down. In my That's bowl. the American way. <laughs> because of the Sherry Bobbins yeah. <laughs> Simpsons episode. Thank you, Sherry Bobbins. <laughs> Everything comes back to the Simpsons, yeah. doesn't it? Have you seen Saving Mr. Banks? Is that what it's called? Yeah, I have seen that. Yeah. Uh, there's a scene in that. I, I assume it's true. I don't know. But where they're, they're composing Spoonful of Sugar. And originally it goes... A spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down. Um, goes yeah. down with yeah. the melody. I remember and they were that, like, yeah. no, we need to mix it up. Let's make it go up. Yeah. Well, the melody go up. things Going down. And mm. Yeah, that's my fact. Which <laughs> highlights the importance of collaboration. Exactly. As you said in your last <laughs> it's solution. It says um, that the song is mixed with It's a Small World. Does that make sense? What, you mean like a remix? I don't know. But just to flesh out my time on... This problem. Can either of you spell supercalifragilisticexpialidocious? Yes, I reckon I can. Right, the one, the closest one. Do a letter each. The one that no, the one that gets furthest. Actually, no, you have a copy each other, won't you? Well, one of us could put our hands over our ears. No, I think Liam was right. Go one letter each until someone fucks up, and then the other person has to do the rest of the word. Yeah, okay, yeah. All right, I'm not doing it though because I can see it. All right, Aaron. I reckon. Oh, S. You. Yep. P. Yep. E. Yep. R. Yep. C. Yep. Let me write it down so I know how far we've gone. <laughs> oh, I hit my mic. So we've done S U P E R C. Yes. A. L. Yep. I. Yep. F. Yep. R. Yep. A. Yep. G. Yep. I. Yep. L. Yep. I. Yep. S. T. Yep. I. Yep. C. Yep. E. Yep. E. Yep. P. I. A. L. I. D. O. C. I. O. U. S. Yep. Oh, yes! Sorry, you both failed. You put the exclamation mark on the end. Oh, fuck off. <laughs> that was quality content, though. That'll be really interesting for listeners. <laughs> yeah. I liked it. <laughs> I'm going to leave it in as well I feel, I feel like we've really done some good bonding there <laughs> I might shorten the the, the, the time cat. between letters yeah. so that it sounds like we just went S-U-P-E-R make it get faster and faster <laughs> yeah, well, well done though. that was really impressive thanks Liam <laughs> sure yeah I can uh, I can fill some time in for you Carl <laughs> oh god <laughs> film the Kraken so I know I, know I said that um I don't understand four teaspoons at all, but in all in Augustus's defence, this is actually very topical for my example. If there's one thing the music industry has taught us over the years, it's that sugar's pretty much the best thing in the world. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we'll start in 1963. Um, this isn't obviously the start of the music industry, but this is <laughs> the earliest example I got. When music started. <laughs> After music was invented in 1963. <laughs> the Four Seasons recorded and released Candy Girl, which peaked at number three in the US. That's the one that goes, I'm going to make you the candy girl. 
Exactly. Du, 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 du. <laughs> uh, produced by Timberland, I believe. Ooh. <laughs> um, and in what we'll soon see is a fairly common trend. It's a song about a relationship in which the love is so pure and plentiful that the only possible comparison is with sugary treats. Mm. It's, it's, Frankie Valley sings about his candy girl. She sets his heart a whirl. Um, there's a f- couple more of those examples very similar to that. But before we get to them, I want to talk about the 1971 song, The Candyman. Candy oh, Christina. Man. I love that Candy one. Man. Do you remember Sweet in 1971 sugar. when Christina Candy Aguilera man. was just getting famous and she released <laughs> The Candyman? <laughs> Makes all the panties drop. You know, <laughs> you know which film this is from. I'm assuming this is uh, this is the reason why Augustus is relevant. Oh, Willy Wonka and Chocolate Factory. Willy Wonka Charlie and Chocolate the Chocolate Factory. No, Willy Wonka. no it's yeah, called yeah, Willy Wonka yeah. and the Chocolate Factory. Yeah. Do you know why it's called Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory and not Charlie and the Chocolate Factory? Uh, is it a rights issue? Apparently not. There's a couple of things about it. Um, apparently, Did they not think Charlie was an interesting enough character that Willy Wonka was the better star. Um, I don't think it was that. So there, there was a couple of things. You've got it written down. Just tell me. <laughs> well, I've not so written yes it down. No I, don't, I don't want to rule it out. <laughs> um, I, don't, I don't want to hurt your feelings. There. <laughs> uh, apparently, Charlie is slang for a white plantation owner. And that was one of the reasons why they didn't want to go with Charlie in the Chocolate Factory for the film. And the Viet Cong. This is the other thing. Viet Cong. What is the Viet Cong thing, Carl? Because I didn't quite understand that. Uh, they called him Charlie. You were looking for Charlie everywhere. Yeah. Right. So they called him like Gump. The Germans, Jerry, they called the Viet Cong Charlie. Right. And then Viet Cong were the enemy of the Americans. And this was pretty soon after that, right? So, or it's probably still going on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, the other the other thing, which seems a bit more likely to me, is that they were actually trying to use the film to sell Wonka bars, and they thought it would sell uh, more if it was called Willy Wonka mm. and the Chocolate Factory. I do love this song, though. It's the opener, isn't it? The Candy Man can. It is. Is it the opener? It's quite close to the beginning, isn't because it? Because he's Homer Simpson, man. <laughs> Do you know which... Sorry, you look like you're going to say something there. Do you want to say something? Yes. What were you talking about before that? Charlie. Before, oh, yeah. When I went to Reading, the music festival... Not just the town. <laughs> <laughs> there were a lot of people asking for cocaine by saying, have you seen my mate Charlie? Mm. That was like code for you selling any cocaine. And Is you, that how you, you and Young and I were going, we look for Charlie everywhere. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, sorry, I haven't seen him. Is what does he look like? Going to get a security guard. <laughs> He's lost Charlie. <laughs> Is that how you developed your problem? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> With people called Charlie. <laughs> I hate them. <laughs> Uh, do you know which famous singer had a number one hit with The Candyman a year later in 1972? Chris Aguilera. Phil Collins. Both very close, but very wrong. <laughs> uh, it was actually Sammy Davis Jr. And he admitted to not liking the song, which is a bit ironic because it was his only US number one, which I thought was pretty amazing, really. Sammy Davis Jr., such a huge name. And name he another had song. one US number one. <laughs> name another one of his songs, Liam. <laughs> He's got loads of songs. Well, name one. Didn't he do um, Let's Face the Music? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Did he, music man? <laughs> anyway, he was part of the Rat Pack, for God's sake. Anyway. Um, <laughs> name one. <laughs> <laughs> well, one of the Rat Pack. Yeah. Sammy Davis Jr. <laughs> God, the only one he knows. <laughs> um, anyway. I don't think the Rat Pack existed. <laughs> Liam just made him up for this problem. <laughs> <laughs> He um he reportedly described the song. The reason he didn't like it, he said it was too saccharine. Is that how you say that word? Do you know that word? Uh, yeah, or well, people sometimes say saccharin, don't they? Saccharin, like, sickly sweet. Saccharin, saccharin. <laughs> yes, 
Made famous by um, Looney Tunes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And uh, it's a funny coincidence, actually, because that's exactly how Roald Dahl described the music in general in the film. He said it was saccharine or saccharine. I don't know how he pronounced it. Sappy and sentimental. Um, he he, he re- didn't really like this film. He, he disowned it, basically. He Stephen King did, didn't he? Um, such saccharine lyrics, I'm going to go with that now since Jay-Z said it, <laughs> include, Who can take a sunrise... Sprinkle it with dew. Who can take a sunrise? Cover it with chocolate and a miracle or two. Sprinkle it with dew. The candy man. Who can wrap the bag and do the twisty thingy too? The garbage man. (laughs) The garbage man can. But like I said, there's lots of other songs glorifying sugar as well. Who can forget Shanks and Bigfoot's 1999 single, Sweet Like Chocolate? Thank you, Carl, for this recommendation. <laughs> Which, in the same vein as it Candy brings Girl, him so much joy. It, yeah, <laughs> it, it compares the love of a good man with the sweet, sweet taste of chocolate. <laughs> and and then we've already mentioned Christina Aguilera's Candy Man, released in two thousand and seven, uh, which is, by the way, produced and co-written by Jay Z. Linda Perry of Four Non Blondes. Oh. Oh. A bit of a yeah, theme, friend of the show. Something I feel I've never heard of come up more than once yeah. in my life. <laughs> and did you know, Carl, Linda Perry wrote Lost. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, Christina Aguilera's sweet talking sugar-coated candy man is uh, laced with LSD. barely concealed, no, probably not concealed at all innuendo, I think you'd agree. Goes a bit further than the last two exam- examples. Talks about panties dropping and cherries popping. Mm. Um, I'm even pulling back up. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, it's just the song. It gets me in the mood. There's cherry juice everywhere now. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. So, the advice... Well, it seems to be telling us that only one Sugar's thing... Sugar's good. As far as I'm concerned. Yeah. Rather than beating your sugar addiction, you should be embracing it. And <laughs> because... It might very well be the closest thing to true love and happiness that you ever experience. Oh, wow. <laughs> but what if his panties are dropping all over the place? <laughs> Could be worse things, Carl. Could be worse things. <laughs> For the sake of your health, Augustus, I would say do not listen to Liam's <laughs> advice this week. Do not drink the water in the lake, Augustus. <laughs> <laughs> the chocolate water. He yeah. never listens, though, does he? No. Or indeed, any of your local lakes. <laughs> I wouldn't do that either. <laughs> All right, so Liam says, if I could just uh, make Liam's advice a little bit more sensible, it's just enjoy life, you know. Have your sugar because if you're balancing it out in other areas of your life, doing proper exercise and, I don't know, taking your diabetes medicine, then it'll be fine. And we're assuming they're like a six tea a day, man. It might be one tea. Yeah, that's true. It's not great, but it's... That's true. It's progress based on what you used to eat. Mm-hmm. And our advice, well, your advice was... Have one. One spoonful. One sugar. End of. <laughs> one spoonful of sugar makes the tea I think go that down. that was the, the shortest piece of advice we've ever had yeah. on the podcast. But then he made it longer, remember? Oh, yeah. <laughs> it is an interesting game. <laughs> <laughs> Which I think you fought up on the spot, didn't you? <laughs> oh, no. what you All right, about. well, it'll be a hard choice for you then, Carl. But mm. uh, <laughs> if, lads, now that we've reached the end of the episode... What would be the one piece of art you recommended to our listeners from today's episode if you had to pick just one? Seinfeld. Watch Seinfeld on Netflix. It's great. <laughs> Other stream shows are available, but not with Seinfeld on it. <laughs> <laughs> I think I would go with uh, Come From Away. 
Go yeah. and see it. I know you didn't see it last time. I've recommended to go and see it. <laughs> Do it this time. And we won't <laughs> next time. Because <laughs> it might not be around for much longer. Mine would be Underway by Bob Mortimer. Underway. Because it's just... Underway. <laughs> lovely and easy. Easy read. I, could, that, I watched Matilda with subtitles. I couldn't believe that song was going omelette. <laughs> omelette. Omelette? Yeah. Is that what he's saying? No, apparently not. I thought, I thought it, was it was on my way. It is, yeah. I thought it was omelette. <laughs> <laughs> I always thought it was on my way. <laughs> Did you? Yeah. The song is literally called "On My Way," but it goes omelette on my way. No, it says like, omelette. <laughs> <laughs> my wife will back me Did up. Did you on think this. that was my wife will back me up? <laughs> the authority on what <laughs> sounds sound like. <laughs> Did you think that's what Matilda wanted for breakfast? Yeah, <laughs> omelette. <laughs> What you want for breakfast, Carl? Omelette. And she couldn't, yeah, she couldn't have it until the end of the film. <laughs> <laughs> oh, great. Well, that's Bye. all we've got time for today. <laughs> Check out the episode notes or agonyartpodcast.com to find links to all the media we mentioned and for a link to the Agony Art Spotify playlist where you can listen to Omelette. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely putting that on there. <laughs> if you've got a problem you'd like us to attempt to solve, you can reach us on our group Instagram and Twitter accounts at Agony Art Podcast or on the submissions page on our website. I'd like to thank our resident Agony Uncles for their contributions. Thanks, Liam. Thanks, Carl. Thank you. Oh, thank you. And thank you, listeners, for listening. We'll be back next week with more problems to muddle our way through and more entertainment for you to check out. See you later. On my way. Oh, we just an omelette. bye-bye. But I'd suggest keep it light because their advice can't be shite and they won't be held liable. Oh no, not at all, not here, but Agony Art, Agony Art, Agony Art.